Talking Leaders is a Voquinexus production. Let's make sure people really hear what you have to say. We talked about the value and the importance of strong speaking skills to leaders. We talked about uh, the need to take a strategic approach. And you gave us an overview that you outlined beautifully in your, your book, Speaking to Influence, Mastering Your Leadership Voice. Let's go into a little bit more detail on the three V's, though, uh, which I think will, people will find helpful. That's verbal, sure. vocal and visual. Let's start with verbal, which for you means the actual words that you're going to say. And, and for many people, it starts off as a written document, I guess. For many people, it will. But when you think about it, any conversation you have, planned, extemporaneous, uh, formal presentation, one-on-one -on -one meeting, phone call, we rarely have a chance to script anything out. So most of the words that we choose are just off the top of our heads. And even to the extent that we do have an outline, an agenda, or even a PowerPoint presentation, it's almost never scripted. So and I frankly, just, it shouldn't just, be. Just, just to interrupt you, so I think that's a really important point you're making there, though, isn't it? I mean, a lot of people I can imagine might think, oh, OK, I need to do this when I'm giving a big presentation or I've got a big meeting. But you're saying, no, no, you do this every time you speak as a leader, no matter even, yes. if, it, even if it's just a, a water cooler conversation. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's I redefine the concept of public speaking, because most people just think, well, I'm rarely on stage or I'm never on camera or I'm not. I don't do public speaking. Yes, you do. Public speaking is anytime you speak to someone besides yourself. Mm. Now, granted, many of us talk to ourselves more than we talk to anyone else in the course of the day. And sometimes it's the best conversation you'll have all day. But nevertheless, that's the only part that's not public speaking. So this is important in every conversation you have every day. Mm. Now, one of the things I really liked uh, that you said under verbal, because again, it, it plays to our bias, I suppose, is you, you talk about the importance of stories. Just tell us a bit more why you think stories are, are particularly valuable. Stories are relatable. Stories bring data to life. Stories make information interesting. And that's often a challenge for people to think about it. You can tell any kind of a story, a real one or even a hypothetical one, if you're trying to paint a picture, for example, marketers know that two of the most powerful words for marketing a product or service is imagine that and go from there. Because mm -hmm. people like to be able to picture something in their minds and stories help you to do that. Okay, so obviously I'm going to ask you here, so do you have a story that can illustrate all that? Uh, sure, actually, I've got two pieces that will sort of bookend why stories matter. Um, the first is primarily because stories captivate. Rather than just presenting information, data, facts, stories help people get sucked into whatever you're talking about. I was running a training at a school district and... Uh, as demonstrating a technique with a bunch of teachers and administrators. And I was reading a short children's story out loud. And I realized at one point that the custodian was in the doorway, leaning up against the door frame. And I thought maybe he needed to access something in the room and was trying not to interrupt. So I paused and I said, Mr. Jones, did you need something? And he smiled and just shook his head and said, no, it's just been a really long time since anybody read me a story. <laughs> And I just thought it was so cute because I'm reading a story intended for five-year-olds and here's this 50-something man and he just took time out because he loved to have the story. Okay. And so that's what we want to be able to do. We want people to 
stop whatever they're doing and completely focus in on whatever we're talking about. Yeah. Now, to the extent, of course, that you don't have a, a piece of children's literature there with you, um, one of the main functions of a story can be, for example, to establish credibility. Right. So um, I was doing a lot of training with different school districts. And now, of course, the challenge is that I walk in there as Dr. Laura Socola, and I know that teachers, because I used to be one of them, I, one of my first jobs out of university was as a public school teacher, teachers are one of the most wonderful and simultaneously most jaded groups of people you will ever work with. It's kind of a, a prove why I should listen to you because otherwise I got too much to do and I don't have time. Mm. So when I walked in there, and I know that whoever's introducing me is going to introduce me as Dr. Laura Socola. I took the microphone and the first thing I do is I apologize to the group for the doctor in front of my name. <laughs> and I told them very specifically, it, it's, it's no small irony that I stand there because when I first started teaching back a million years ago, but uh, my first job was teaching in South Central Los Angeles. Now this automatically gets people's attention because South Central Los Angeles, for anyone who's not familiar with it, is one of the toughest urban school regions in the country. Mm. So there's a lot of challenges there. And it was a bilingual program. So another layer of challenges on top of it, all immigrant children. And so now, okay, I have the teacher's attention. Okay, you taught school, you were one of us, and you were in a tough neighborhood. So all right, you have my attention. That's the first C, the mm. command, command of the room. And there's a connection with the audience as well, I have to maintain their attention. So I mentioned that I was teaching with them. And all I knew back then was that Whenever Dr. So-and-so came in with their fancy schmancy title to do some sort of professional development training with us, my brain, as soon as I heard the doctor in front of their names, my brain went click and shut off. And I thought to myself, look, Dr. Smarty Pants, I don't know where you got your fancy degree from, but unless you can give me something right now that's going to make my life easier at eight o'clock tomorrow morning when those kids walk in that door, I do not have time for you. So... Fast forward X number of years, and it's no irony that I stand here before you today as one of those Dr. Smarty Pants people. So what I promise you, as the group of teachers in front of me, is that give me 10 minutes. And if in those 10 minutes, I don't have you convinced that you're going to walk away at the end of today with concrete practices, tools that you can use at 8 o'clock tomorrow morning to make your life easier with your students, you can leave after those 10 minutes and I will not be offended. Do we have a deal? And I've told that story, I've used that introduction many, many times. And has not anyone ever person, walked out? No, no one? Not a single person. Whoa. Not Whoa. a single person. <laughs> so that was important. I needed their buy-in because yeah. otherwise I knew I'd have a room full of people who would have arms crossed, eyes rolled, and or would be hiding behind the person in front of them and just working on grading papers or writing lesson plans or doing something else and just yeah. I'd have a room full of bodies and that's yeah. it. 
That's, that's really not good. connecting and that's not closing the deal. That's really good. Thank you. There are lots of other uh, good, great pieces of advice under verbal, which we haven't really got time to go over here on, on how you structure your arguments and things about the bright balance of objective and subjective speech and so forth. But one thing I did want to just focus on for a second is because I know it's something that people can struggle with, particularly as they're moving up the leadership ladder, is when they're presenting to senior groups and you have this advice, don't get lost in the weeds when you're talking mm-hmm. There. Can you cover that? The re- I have a sort of a little biased in that I have been on both sides of that. I've had to present up, and I've also been on those teams when I've been presented to, and I, I completely recognise that that situation. So, just to talk to us a little bit about that challenge then of getting lost in the weeds. Actually, I'd love to hear your take on it. What is, when you were on one side versus on the other side? What was your experience? Uh, okay, so let's do it when I was a, a fresh young thing uh, making my way forward. Uh, and I was originally a scientist. I trained as a biochemist. And mm-hmm. and so a lot of the, these meetings uh, were presenting to uh, leadership groups, usually to get approval for uh, going forward in some way, doing something. And uh, one of the things that I wanted to do was uh, it seemed very important to me that the people I was presenting to understood the full context of what yes. I was saying and why I was advocating a particular point of view. Yes. And so I would take a very inductive approach in that I would lay out all the qualifications and all the assumptions and all the caveats before I then walk them through the data so that when they finally arrived at my conclusion, they could see where I was coming from and completely believed in the conclusion because they knew all the background. Right. Didn't work. I was just going to ask, and how did that work for no, you? It doesn't work at all. You could see Why not? That- you could see them just drifting off. Well, because I'm giving them all this qualification, all this stuff, completely without context. I mean, that's the idea. And yes. of course, in that respect, it works because they don't know what I'm going to lead up to. They don't know why these caveats and qualifications and assumptions are important um, right. because they don't know what I'm going to con- conclude on. And uh, so I quickly learned myself that it's much better to turn it around the other way And I used to take a much more deductive approach, which is to say, okay, I'm here today and we're going to ask you to take this project forward to production. And I'm now going to lay out for you the reasons why I think we should go forward and the success that we've had that proves it's worthwhile and then go that way. So immediately then they can say, okay, well, everything he tells me now, I can use it to test his his message. And then when I got onto to management teams and leadership teams where we were assessing this, I saw myself coming in and doing exactly <laughs> the same thing. And I just thought, oh, dear, it's funny how we, we, we go through that. And I, yes. always, I always thought that was a scientist thing. No, there's there's two issues involved. One, of course, is that we often scientists and and other you know whether you're an accountant, whether you're a scientist, whether you are regardless, we get stuck in what I like to call the expert's curse. Mm. You don't realize what others don't need to know, what others do or don't already understand, what is or isn't obvious or important to other people. It's all relevant to you. It's all important to you. So you just assume everybody else would want to know all of it. Uh, But that notwithstanding, where many other people present way too much, get lost in the weeds, uh, which is a a golfing reference. Uh, You want to stay on the nice clean fairway. You don't want to be lost in the the rough on the edges. The, The idea is that many people, when they're presenting up, as you alluded to in the beginning of your story, the idea is you do want to 
almost prevent questions. You mm. want to make sure everybody understands everything so that there's no reason to challenge. You want them to understand why you got to your conclusion and how you got there so that they see your logic. You want to show how much work you did. You want to show them how hard you worked, how much effort, how mm. much, how careful you were to prove yourself, not just to prove your results. And so that intimidation factor, that need to prove yourself often takes over. So we err on the side of commission rather than omission. And people just can't, they can't drink from a fire hose. It's too (laughs) much information. They just need whatever the glass of water can hold. So figure out what is the nugget of information they want, provide a little bit of context and let them know, feel free to ask for more information regarding X, Y, and Z, but just don't dump the entire ocean worth of information on top of them and expect them to be able to to swim. That's great. Thank you.